Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of Business 101 with Dearlene. Today's guest is Jeremy from San Diego, and he's going to be teaching me and you how to invest our savings. Because while it's supposed to be simple, and we probably should have learned this in school, I don't think any of us ever did. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I love this stuff and I love the opportunity to talk about and teach whenever I can. So I actually found you, Jeremy, I want to tell everyone via Instagram. So he has an amazing Instagram account, which I will link here, which kind of gives really simple tips on investing. So as all of you probably know, I invest in real estate. I have some houses and I understand real estate because my dad had houses, so I can just kind of copy his thing but I never actually understood how to invest cash into like stocks and funds. And I know it's easy and I know you just put in the money and leave it for 30 years and then you're rich, but I don't really understand where to put it. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. Great, you've come to the right place because I understand that stuff really well, I like to think at least. Awesome, so why don't you give us a little bit of background on who you are, how you know things, and your life history. I know you have some slides which can help with that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Apologize for the boring PowerPoint, but hopefully the visuals are helpful on something. So yeah, who is this guy? I'm Jeremy. I'm 39. I actually retired at 36. Uh, most of my wealth I built from, or I got from growing a company and selling it when I was 34. Um, but since then, I've basically dedicated my life, life to learning and teaching personal finance and investing. Um, and I summarize, yeah, like you mentioned, I summarize my investing or experience and from books and my life and to my Instagram. So here's like my quick life story. I hope it'll be like less than 30 seconds. At 22, I was in college. I used to be able to run really fast. I had a track scholarship and I graduated with a master's degree in computer science. And then instead of getting a real job, I started a company. Um, and so this is me trying to sell my wares in my very cool outfit and my like <laughs> high school diorama style um, you know, sales pitch there. Um, and so for a couple of years starting the business, it was pretty rough. We weren't making a lot of money. You can see my net worth here dropped to negative wow. $12,000. That's um, scary. On, yeah, I know. I was like living on credit cards and it was a, a calculated risk. I don't you know, suggest living on credit cards, but I knew that if I got a real job, I could pay that off very quickly. And so I, that wasn't like a long-term plan, but I was like, if I can just weather the storm for a couple of years and get out of it, then, you know, so I always had a plan B, but luckily I didn't need it. So 26, that's like a couple of years in my company. It starts doing better. I paid off on my debt. You can see my net worth is now back up to a thousand dollars. I put my car down there too. I'm not really a car guy, but I think part of the theme of this whole thing is that like rich people more often than not are frugal people. Rich people are, you know, wealth is not about being flashy and making it rain at clubs and, you know, buying fancy cars. It's about spending less than you make. And so exactly. even if you're a millionaire, it doesn't mean you have to like drive a Lamborghini. In fact, the vast majority don't. And when I see a BMW on the street, more often than not, I think that person is, has borrowed money to buy that and is in debt and, yes. you know, stressed out. So you can see like how I lived my life when I was broke, like I had a thousand bucks um, and how I live my life now that I'm not broke. So 30, my net worth is up to 40,000 because I'm basically doing what I suggested. I live below my means and I, and I start investing. My company is doing a little bit better. I moved to San Diego. Um, 33 years old. Uh, my company's now making a million dollars a year in revenue. Um, but what I did your company more. do, by the way? So it was an internet company. We did online apartment advertising. Okay. So uh, property managers, so actually yourself, if you have rentals and you want to list them online, 
You could post them to Craigslist or Zillow or apartments.com or rentals.com or 50 other sites. Um, or you could post them once to my site, which is called Rentlinks, and it automatically syndicates them to like every single rental site, keeps all your leads in the same place. Cool. This isn't about real estate investing, but it's, it's But still, now uh, we know more, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was like, it was a niche little thing, but um, I found a need and, you know, I feel like the entrepreneurship conversation is a little bit longer, but yeah, I found a need and just <laughs> the base, the, the short version is like, it was just persistence over the course of 10 years this idea was honed and refined and just, you know, for the first couple of years, it was terrible and I was losing money and the whole thing. So. And I think it's um, interesting that I'm sorry to make us get stuck here, but your, your take home pay is never more than 36,000. So a lot of people, I think, you know, they think you start a company, let's say your company makes uh, 300,000 in a year. You think, okay, that's my income is 300,000, but you as a founder need to reinvest into the company, pay your employees if you have employees and then that's a really low that's a pretty low salary for the u.s especially if you were in san diego 36k so um that's pretty much like subsistence level for you i'm guessing yeah at the time. i was i it was right on the poverty line i think as they just <laughs> defined it in southern california um you know i lived very frugally i rented a room in a two-bedroom apartment with a roommate uh, i drove a 99 ford explorer that i bought for three thousand dollars cash I yeah my last mostly. car was 2000 I'm in the same boat yeah nice I love it <laughs> cars are like one of the biggest monumental sucks of money for like you know middle and lower class or lower income people yes. um, yeah and so you're right so I, I chose and so I had a lot of expenses like all the people in this picture I was paying their salaries here the company was um, you know we had to pay all our bills and servers and all the stuff we had to do and then with what was left over I could choose to just like take it home or I could choose to reinvest and hire more people and try to grow. And so I basically decide like, I'm, I'm in this for the long term. I'm investing in the company. And so I'm just going to live on nothing. Um, yeah. So fast forward next year, um, I sold my company for $5 million after um, working out for about 12 years, a, another company saw what we were doing and they thought it was very cool and very hard to do. And they decided it would be easier to buy us than try to uh, rebuild it or compete with us. Um, and so, yeah, I went from, you know, being a guy making like living on the poverty line to being a multimillionaire, like literally in an instant. I know. Overnight. Pretty, and it's something I want to explain to the viewers, some of you will already understand this, but a lot of times when you're building your company, it's not about how much money you make every year. It's how much money you make when you sell the company. So you're growing the value of the company, which is the skills you have or your software or whatever the value is. You as an individual might not be making much because that's your salary is low. But if you own the company when you sell it, look, he went to, yeah, four or five million in a day, right? Obviously in yeah. 10 years, but it feels like a day. Yeah. Okay, sorry, continue. Yeah, it's true. You know, I, I, you know, something's only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. And so I had something that seemed to be of value, but until someone wrote me a check, um, you know, it was just stock in the company. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, and I, chose to play the long game and and hope that i had an exit like this which was great yeah amazing. Um, so yeah two years i worked for that company that bought us for two years um i love that company i still am on really good terms with them but i thought it was time to leave after working on the same basic project for 14 years of my life um and you can see my i did finally buy a new car on a mazda nothing too flashy but um my net worth keeps going it kept going up from investing same thing and you mm -hmm. know i didn't at this point, I was still 
actually up until like a month ago, I was still living in a one bedroom apartment. I didn't go buy a fancy house. I didn't buy a Lamborghini. I just wanted to keep building my wealth so I could do the, th you know, do the things that are important to me, like have freedom and travel and, you know, have options going forward, you know, because if I just bought cars and houses, I would be like owned by that stuff and then have to work just to like keep up with it, you know? Yes. I've seen some of your videos on uh, frugality too. So I think you're on board. I am super on board. And I have a quick question. What made yeah. you decide you got a condo instead of a house, right? Yeah. What made you ultimately decide to do a condo instead of a house? I mean, just, it's just cheaper. Okay. Okay. Cause it's yeah. California. California. Right. You know, the, the condo is what you see behind me right now. And it's, it, it, I bought a dump and I've been remodeling houses for the last couple of years. My buddy and I like flip homes. And so I like flipped this home too. So I bought a dump and remodeled it. Um, and so it's now a very nice two bedroom condo for sure. Um, but you know, in San Diego, what you see here, including the remodel price was about $800,000. Um, and this as a house would probably be more like 1.3 or $1.4 million. And so I'm like, is it worth half a million dollars to like not share one wall with, it's only two other units that I share with it, so. So that's why um, you did that. Yeah, and you guys can see his before and after remodel pictures on his Instagram. They're really fun to see because it's a most huge like, difference. I, know. I spent a year and a half like beseeching people to learn about investing in index funds. And my most liked post of all time is my remodel pictures. But you know, the people tell you what they want. Remodel I know, photos. It's true. I'm like, I'm now. It's now flipped this house. I've changed the whole. Uh, the whole feed. So 37 years old, I played StarCraft 2 for a year because I had been working for 14 years. This was a gigantic waste of time. I am not, I never played video games since like college at all and I was not good at it and I kind of got addicted. And then uh, last year I decided to quit StarCraft 2. I haven't played since. Um, I founded Personal Finance Club, which is the shirt I'm wearing and what I do when I, with my Instagram, I talk to people about investing. And uh, yeah, and you can see even if you notice my net worth, it keeps going up, even though I don't have a job, because I'm oh, investing, you know, yeah. I'm spending very little of my money each year relative to my net worth, which is high now compared to most people. Um, but because I'm spending very little, the rest of it is growing, growing, growing. And I just take a little bit off the top each year. Can I guess what safe withdrawal rate is? Yeah. I'm guessing I've never heard of it before, but it's pretty self-explanatory. I hope I'm right. Um, that let's say you invest, $100,000. And then every year you get 8,000 in interest. You can take out up to 4,000 a year. Is that correct? Or is that completely wrong? You couldn't be more wrong. No, I'm just kidding. That's oh, I was like, God. <laughs> uh, you know, so when you're investing, returns generally aren't guaranteed like that. So you would usually get on average 8%, for example, but some years it could be two and some years it could be 10. And so with that volatility, if you take out 8% every year, but then you have some very bad years, you could basically dig yourself into a hole. So yeah, the safe withdrawal rate based on studies they've done over long periods of time is that if you take 4% of your money every year and invest the other 96% of your money, you never go broke. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So would you, let's say some, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna use $100,000 throughout the whole thing because it's like a nice round number and most people, once they're older, will have $100,000 at some point. So let's say you have $100,000 in cash do you recommend as yourself, you know, from your perspective that somebody puts all of that into stocks and then they withdraw? Or do you recommend they, they keep like half in cash and then put the rest into stocks? Like what's your approach? Everything's in stocks or you keep some cash in case something goes terribly wrong? In the That's universe? a great question. I should have put that slide here, but basically 
kind of, I have, I have, I have, it's all on Instagram. Though. I have like five, 500 hundreds of slides. Yeah. yeah I know. They're all, they're all, if you dig through them, it's impossible to find them. Uh, but basically I say, first thing is I, I would pay off all my debt except for a mortgage. So um, I think you said that you have no debt. Do you mind me sharing that with you? Oh yeah. Everyone knows everything about my life. I have no debt. I will never go into debt unless it's for a house, not even for education. Amazing. That's great. That's great. I really, really like that. And so I'm 100% on the same page as you. And I think a lot of people muddy the water is like good debt, bad debt. Blah, blah, blah. And I think, no. And, and your primary home, especially if you live somewhere expensive, like is a necessity that you take a mortgage out. So I don't, I kind of treat that separately. Um, but I'd say pay off all your debt besides your mortgage. So if you have credit card, student loan, car, medical, anything, pay off because that debt is like dragging you down. It's like pulling you into this like deep chasm of being broke. Or it's like, I, I, I think about like trying to swim with like an anchor tied to your oh ankle. Like you yeah. gotta, you gotta get that ankle anchor off first. And some people are like, I have $10,000 or in your example, I have a hundred thousand dollars in cash and $50,000 in debt. Should I be investing? And I said, pay off that debt first. You know, if you, what if you had 50,000 in cash and zero in debt, would you go borrow $50,000 more just so you have a hundred thousand, you know? And when I, when you think about that way, you get scared. You're like, no, I wouldn't borrow money just so I'd have more in the bank. Uh, but people get kind of complacent with the situation. They get used there. to having debt. Yeah. They forget totally. that it's bad and alarming. Yes. Right. And banks love that because they just want to keep, they want you working your whole life and they just want you making payments your whole life so they can just keep getting rich and, you know, you keep getting the next car and you keep putting on the credit card and then just, you're just like an indentured servant to your job your whole life, making payments to the bank, but you got to get out of that rat race so that you can like build wealth. So exactly. to answer your question, first things first, pay off all your debt. No debt. Second thing is have an emergency fund. So being broke is expensive. If you're broke, if you have no cash, credit card overage fees, like, or overdraft fees, payday loans, inter, you know, interest on, like all this bad stuff happens. Like being broke is like this washing machine of, of expensive financial danger. And so you need to get yourself out of that cycle by having an emergency fund, which is just a pile of cash you save up, you put into account and forget about it. You know, a, a typical and that should be month. six months or approximately or a year. Yeah. I say three to six months. I think, I think more than six months, you probably have too much cash and you should be using some of that to invest and grow. Okay. And less than three months, you're kind of a little bit too bare. And if a coronavirus happens, for example, then you might like run out of cash. Um, and so I think, you know, and, and where you fall in that three to six months, it's personal preference, how, risky your job is, if you have kids, stuff like that. Um, but you know, like, so for a normal person who spends a few thousand bucks a month, well, you might take like 10 or 15,000 bucks, put it into an emergency fund and a savings account. You don't invest it. You don't do anything fancy with it. Right now, savings accounts are paying like 1%, like the good ones are. And so it just, it's not going to change your life, the growth of that. But then the other 85,000 is the fun part where you invest it and you make more money. Yes. Got cool. it. I need to do that. That's what we're going to do today. Okay. okay so that's what we're going to do. So uh, we've kind of been talking about this already. And so I, I always start off with this, like all the complicated stuff, like index funds, investing and IRAs and brokerage accounts, like all this stuff, it doesn't matter if you don't do this, you have to spend less than you make. And then you have to invest the difference, live below your means and invest early and often. And so if you take one thing away from this and I, and I, and Aline, like, I think your question is more like, Explain investing to me, but I think a lot of people don't know this. 
you know, we just live in this world of like monthly payments and like, what can I, like, what's, what can people loan me and what, what car can I afford it? And, and I, I think like the big picture of spend less than you make and invest the difference is, is lost on people. And so if you, if you spend every dollar you make, you'll be broke. And if you don't invest, yeah. you'll never have an opportunity to build wealth. So if you don't do these things, it doesn't matter how good you are at stocks and bonds. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. This is not viewers. This is not a get rich quick. This is get minorly rich very slowly. Okay. So well, this is not. I think it's get rich. It's good. It's get rich slowly. <laughs> so you think um, it is counts know. as rich. Okay. Get rich slowly in like 30 years. Okay. Yeah. And for those of you who have been watching a long time, you know that obviously I really care about financial responsibility and not buying things you don't need. And any of you who have applied to the dearly retreats you saw on the form, please do not apply to this retreat. If you are in debt, please do not come. If you're oh, in debt, please do I not come. It. If you don't have savings. Okay. This is not for you. So wait until later to come. So that's something that I put everywhere. Like this is luckily, I mean, I'm guessing maybe you were raised like this. I don't know, but my mom raised me like this and my dad where every dollar is like gold. So I was raised since I was a kid to like agonize over a $15 purchase, which, you know, was maybe a little bit too much, but really did help me feel super secure financially now that I'm an adult and not do anything silly. So yes, this is very important to everyone. I agree. Yeah. I'm the same. I still, <laughs> I mean, just I'm actually like starting or doing some podcast episodes and I actually have this like little podcast equipment here. Oh, and, um, I know. And this, this little device I think is like the best thing to buy for a podcast from what I've read and it's 300 bucks. I like agonized over that. And I was like trolling Craigslist, you know, I, I have a net worth of like almost 4 million bucks. And I, I was like trolling Craigslist. I was like, Cause like, I don't know if podcasting is gonna be like my long-term thing. It's not want to just waste 300 bucks. And then there's like a few on, on Craigslist for like 150. I was like, ah, it's still too much. And then I found one with like a big crack in it. And so you can see this big crack right there. And I super glued it and, they, and then there's only 75 bucks and it works great. And I can probably sell it for more than 75 bucks because I fixed it kind of. Um, and so, you know, being frugal doesn't, doesn't die when you, uh, get some money, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. I didn't know I was going to use my prop here. In our your prop, your little, your broken recorder. <laughs> like, look how frugal I am. I'm the most frugal. <laughs> we can have a contest to find things around the house. <laughs> <laughs> my free t-shirt that I'm wearing. Free, I, I know. I, I paid for this t-shirt. I give them out. I've given a few out for free, but I'm out of t-shirts. So. Oh, like on your Instagram giveaways. Yeah. That's fine. Um, okay. So this is, before we get like this, and I'm a big guy about specifics, so I want to talk about like the specifics of it. But before we get into that, I think I want to show the value of investing, like how to get rich. And so this is how to make 2 million bucks. Great. And these are like my little emojis. I like use these little emojis a lot in examples. So Ashley and Amanda both take home 4,000 bucks per month from the job, which depending on where you're living might sound like a ton, but in the US it's about the average household take home pay. Um, and you know, you can scale these numbers to what makes sense for your area or whatever. Um, so Ashley is normal. She spends $4,000 per month. Amanda spends $3,200 per month. And the difference between that isn't crazy. Like, you know, they both drive cars, they both have apartments, they both go on trips. You know, maybe it's like one, you know, maybe Amanda stays in like kind of a budget Airbnb and maybe Ashley like goes in like an all-inclusive resort, but they come home and they both had great trips or whatever. And like, I mean, you're like the king of travel hacks or whatever. So I think, your 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 followers probably are picking I'm up. I'm definitely on Amanda. Down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're definitely Amanda, right? Um, but then with Amanda's like eight, the eight hundred bucks per month that she doesn't spend, she invests. Fast forward to age sixty four, Ashley 
like woke up and she's broke. And this isn't that weird. This happens to people every single day. There are 64 year olds turning 64 every single day of the year who like wake up and they're like, I don't have any money. Come on social security, which in the U S pays very little. So Ashley's broke. And all these numbers, by the way, are accounting for inflation. So they're all like today's dollars numbers. Um, so Ashley's broke. She's trying to live on her $1,900 a month social security check. And like, that's not fun when you're 64 to cut your standard of living by more than half, right? You know, she went from renting a nice apartment to needing roommates and eating. And I feel like your expenses are, my biggest fear is medical issues when I'm older. So I feel like your biggest expenses are going to be medical issues and you need way more money when you're older. Yeah. I don't know. It's not fun when you're deciding between like paying for your pills or eating cat food for dinner. You know, that's not, and, and frankly, and it's not even like, there's always YOLOers out there who are like, who cares when I'm old? I'm not going to live till I'm 64. But like, it's stressful now to know what's coming. You know, you feel better every single day today if you have a plan and you have some savings and you're doing better. So this isn't like, have fun when you're 64 and not a moment before. It's like, no, be happy today and every day until then and be in a way better position later too. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And then Amanda, of course, her net worth is over $2 million and her investments alone, that, you know, 7%, you know, the safe withdrawal rate is about 4%, but her investments generating 7% earn $143,000 a year. So she's making 143 grand a year for doing nothing. And they both made the same amount of money. And these, like both these people, it's like, so I meet both of them every single day of my life. And I'm like, instantly know if they're Ashley or Amanda. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I see someone who's 30 and they have, 75 grand saved and they're investing. I was like, yep, you're going to have a couple million at retirement and you're going to be good. I meet someone who's 30 and is $20,000 in debt. And they ask me if they should buy a BMW or a Porsche. I'm like, girl, you got to change something fast. I'm like, yeah. girl, girl, you do not buy either one. <laughs> yeah. You sell your Porsche, you got to start riding a bicycle and pay off your debt. Yes. Yes. I had a bicycle all through college, biking yes, everywhere. Man. Nice. Before I bought my 99 Ford, I like just rode my bike for six months in San Diego. It's very Free. Cool. It's exercise. Yeah. All right. Here it is in even more graphical format. If you spend every, you know, if you make this, earn this, you're broke. If you make, earn this and spend a little less and invest the difference, you're rich. That's it. That's how you do it. So how do you do this? I'm, I'm skipping ahead. So basically the, the world of investing is complicated. There's like, there's Bitcoin and day trading and like, gold and silver and you know there's a hot you know your friends got a startup and there's all this different stuff but there's basically two things you can invest in that are serious ways to build wealth one of them is investment real estate which is the area you said you know about which other than this moment we're not going to talk about because yeah. it's kind of like a whole other, other issue and the other one is stocks and bonds like this is it those are the two things you can invest in gold isn't really an investment it's just buying a piece of metal that sits there gold does not provide income it does not you know produce revenue. Um, there's no profits. Uh, but with investment real estate, for example, there's rent. With companies, there's profits. Um, Bitcoin, same thing. Like it goes up and down in valley, but who knows? Um, you know, and all this other stuff is just nonsense. It's stocks and bonds or investment real estate. And today we're going to talk about stocks and bonds. So how does it make money? This is a look at investing $1 from like 1890 or 1894 through 2018. So there's a little tiny dip for the coronavirus, which isn't in this um, chart yet. But basically the, st the value of stock goes up over time. So $1 in 1900 is now worth $100,000 today. And, and if, you know, you can see the Great Depression was pretty ugly, but otherwise there's like these little bumps along the road. 
but it just goes up and up and up because, and the reason it goes up is because these companies are generating profits. Like every day you go, you buy a phone, you go to the grocery store, you put gas in your car, you buy a plane ticket or whatever. That's all during profits. Those profits are being collected and sent back to the shareholders and the shareholders are the people who bought stock in all those companies. And so when you buy and hold that stock, you just collect more and more money from the world's economic business and your wealth goes up. That's how stocks work. So what do you think about coronavirus you know, with stocks? So the crazy thing about the stock market is it's very efficient, which means everything the sum total of the world knows about stocks are already priced in to those stocks. And so if I were to sit here and tell you the stock market is about to go up or it's about to go down, in my opinion, I would be full of shit because the same, the things that I know is, a, is less than the sum total of what everyone else knows. Like I know a subset and everyone in the world knows a subset of the sum total of knowledge, but the sum total of knowledge is priced into the market every single day. And so, you know, the day people realize coronavirus is going to be bad, the market crashed. And before it even got bad, it's just like when people expected it to get bad, the market crashed. And then when coronavirus got bad and people expected it to get better, then the market rebounded. So the market's kind of mm. always doing what's going to happen. It's not, you know, so if, if you said, oh, I know coronavirus is going to get worse, so the stock market's going to go down. That's not true. What's, you know, it's, the stock market's only going to get down if, it goes, if the coronavirus gets worse than people expect it to get and people already expect it to be very bad. Is the stock market based on what's happening in companies or is it based on people's perception of what's happening in companies? That's, that's a deep question. It's a really, I mean, that's like, that's the kind of question that's like, what is the stock? And, and the answer is both a little bit. And so um, at some point, what's happening inside the companies matters. You know, if Ford is generating 10% profits per year and sending those profits back to their investors every year as dividends and it's trading very, very low, people would just instantly be like, no, I would pay more money for that because I want those free profits they're sending back. Um, on the flip side, if it's, you know, so like, a, a so let's call it a dividend when you own a stock yes. and they pay, it pays you cash and dividends are about 2% right now. And so if there's a company paying 10% dividends, that company basically gets priced up until that, the, that dividend is closer to 2%. But there are some companies like Tesla, for example, which does not pay a dividend and the price is sky high. And so that's more of an example of Tesla's trading based on what people think is going to happen to Tesla. And so it's kind of a mix of those two things based on like the reality on the ground of the profits of the company and the expectation and uh, under, you know, guess of the world of, or even speculation mm -hmm. sometimes of what's going to happen. But both of those things, the reality and the expectations are all part of the sum total of human knowledge, you know? So for example, like let's say Tesla said, you know, they just announced, hey, next year we have pre-orders for 50 million cars and now we expect to sell more cars than Toyota next year, but they haven't sold any yet. Of course, people are gonna go buy the stock because they know like, oh, next year it's gonna be better. So the moment that that expectation changes, the price automatically changes. And so dividends, I've heard about dividends and I kind of understand dividends, but one thing I don't understand is this. Okay, 
let's say Ford makes, again, let's say $100,000 a year for the simpleness of math. Ford makes $100,000 a year and um, $10,000 of it is profit. So that $10,000. So what percent of the profit is dividends and what percent of the profit goes back into the company or like into their savings? Like, <laughs> Damn, you are smarter than Those are good questions. <laughs> um, so the answer is the managers of Ford get to pick. Okay. They get to decide what to do with the profits. And so it's kind of the same like when I was talking about my little tiny company, when, when my company made $100,000, I chose to take $36,000 of those and put it in my own pocket. And we didn't have shareholders at that point. So I just invested the rest of my company. But with the remaining money that I didn't take as my, I guess I would be the shareholder, but, um, but with, the remaining, with the remaining money, I could decide to pay out the shareholders or I could use it to invest. And so the managers of the company basically get to decide what to do with it. And these, all these companies we're, we're talking about are different from my little company in that they're publicly traded, which means normal people, citizens that live in houses can own that company, which means they are beholden to their shareholders to do the best thing for their shareholders. So if they, you know, if they lie to the public and steal all the money, like they go to prison for that. That's, there's at least, you know, in the US, there are rules and in most companies or most countries, I think that's generally true in a very similar way. Um, and so basically the managers could just decide and um, some managers say, hey, we are a publicly traded company. We're here for the investors. We're going to like just send out all of our profits as dividends. Mm -hmm. Some companies will say, hey, we're going to do the best for our investors in a different way by keeping that money, hiring more people, building more factories and growing the company so that the share price of our company goes up. And those are the two ways you can make money owning a stock by getting a dividend back in cash every quarter or however often they pay, and by the share price, what you pay, buy or sell the stock for. So if I buy a share of stock for $100, and then it pays me five bucks a year in dividends, and then five years later, the company's doing really well, my friend could offer to buy that share of stock for $150, and then I made money from the dividends yeah. along the way, and I made 50 bucks in profit by sale. selling the stock for more than I bought it for. And this might be like a basic question, but, um, when you're buying stocks, do you separately buy stocks that have dividends? Or let's say I go to my phone and I go buy stock for Facebook or Amazon or whatever. Does, is there a separate place to buy stocks with dividends or do some just have them and some just don't and it's all automatic? Or do you choose? So uh, some just have them and some don't. And you can like look all this stuff up in line. You can see the uh, historical dividend payments for each company. And so like Apple, for example, does pay a dividend and Tesla, for example, doesn't. And so if you owned one share of Apple in your, in your account and one share of Tesla, um, every quarter you would see new cash appear in your account from Apple and that would not be true for Tesla. And so you buy them in the exact same way and just some happen to pay dividends. Hmm. Interesting. But I think what you're more generally asking maybe is, what stocks do you buy? Next slide. Um, because, you know, this is the big question. Should you buy dividend stocks? Should you buy stocks that, are, that you think are going to go up in value a lot? Should you buy little tiny companies and hope they grow really big? Or should you buy really big companies and hope they profit a lot? And the answer is it's basically impossible to know, which is crazy. It's called the efficient market theory, which means every single one of these stocks is priced based on that sum total of human knowledge. And so 
if I say to you, hey, Netflix is going to do really well next quarter, everyone else knows that too. And so the price of Netflix has gone up so high, it's not even worth buying anymore because it's already priced into the fact. And so you can't ever like, and this is different from investment real estate because investment real estate, there's tens and hundreds and millions of properties that are all different and all have, you know, might not have, you know, the sum total of human knowledge isn't priced into any specific house because maybe only a few people know about it. And maybe the few people who know about it don't have any money, or maybe they're bad at assessing the property or whatever. Whereas stocks, there's only a few stocks that are publicly traded, relatively speaking, and trillions of dollars constantly trading those in real time. And so with an investment property, you should absolutely go look at it, do an analysis, see if it's worth it, you know, run the numbers, et cetera, et cetera. With stocks, in my opinion, you should not bother doing that because the answer you'll get for every single stock is that this stock is priced accurately based on the expectation of what's gonna to happen to that stock and the dividends it's likely to pay in the future. So the answer is you can't know which stocks to buy, in my opinion. So intermutual funds. A mutual fund is where there's a bunch of people with a bunch of money. Here's some more emojis. You can see the construction woman and the firefighter dude and the painter there. And they all have their money and they put their money together into a fund. So a mutual fund, a bunch of people is mutual, the fund is money. Um, and then there's a smart manager who picks and chooses stocks for you. So this is a mutual fund manager and this manager in this example chooses Microsoft and ExxonMobil and Amazon because she does all the hard work of reading the, the prospectus and looking at the profits and making the projections. Um, and so that's, and then the, you know, the profits go back to the investors. That sounds nice. That's an improvement over having to do that homework yourself. But the problem is you can see there's this little money bag down there at the bottom of that, of that image. <laughs> she took some of the money for herself for all that work and study after study after study after study show that mutual fund managers are basically no better than random when picking stocks because the sum total of human knowledge is pricing all these stocks and they're all competing against each other. And so it's constant, you know, it's just like this teeter totter that no one can get ahead. So what do you do? Um, and I guess, I want to make one comment about fees. This little, this little money bag she's taking, this has a big impact. So you can see this is two different growth curves. So th this is that same, this is that ex same exact example where you're investing that 800 bucks a month that Amanda was doing. She puts her 800 bucks a month away and invests it in the stock market. The green value is the total value of the stock market, but the red value is what she would get if she was paying a 2% annual fee. So 2% sounds pretty low. It's a very high fee, you know, it's not, it's like kind of an average to high fee if you go hire a yeah. mutual fund manager. Um, but you can see it basically cuts her money almost in half over Crazy. the course of her career. It's like That's a devastating- That's what I looked at when I was looking at investing. I wanted to originally um, get someone to do it for me, someone, you know, possibly smarter than me. And then I looked at the fees and again, like it's the same with when you buy a house. Like the first time I was buying a house, I was like, I know it sounds low, like 4% interest, 4%, what's four in the scheme of things? Nothing, four is so low. But Way over 100. Yeah, four is nothing. So I was like 4% interest. And then you look at the numbers that are like really hidden, honestly. If, if I hadn't been researching, it's not clear that 4% interest doubles the cost of your house over 30 years. You are paying yeah, more in interest than for your freaking house. So crazy. yeah, this is something for anyone who's, um, kind of new to this stuff to remember like small percentages over many years 
are a lot of money. So if someone's like, oh, I'm just taking a 1% fee, like a 1% fee could end up being half a million dollars. So great point. Yep. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> so that's exactly right. It's true in real estate. It's true in, in uh, stock investing too. Those fees are just crippling. Um, so that's like the, the problem with hiring like or investing in an actively managed mutual fund. Actively managed means that mutual fund manager is trading stocks for you. Um, so you want to minimize fees. And how do you do that? Enter the index fund. And so an index fund, instead of picking and choosing individual stocks or paying someone to pick and choose individual stocks, you literally just buy every single stock. And it sounds crazy You say, well, what about the bad stocks? Well, the bad stocks are so cheap because they're bad that it's very little money. And then if, they, if something weird happens, like a bad stock becomes a good stock, then, you get a, then your tiny bit of money gets amplified to a big amount of money. And you're like, and the big stocks, you buy more of. So in, in, the, in this example right now, Microsoft is the most valuable company in the world. And so you buy the most Microsoft, the second most Apple, the third most Amazon, Google, Facebook, Berkshire Hathaway, all the way down the list. Then you own every single stock. So then every single stock, when it profits and grows and you buy an iPhone and they take your money, a little bit of that money comes back to you as an owner of Apple because it's inside of your index fund. And so an index fund is a very low fee way to own every single stock in the list. It's, and, you know, and what I'm saying isn't, you know, it's not get rich quick. It's, I, I have no incentive to be saying this, by the way, I'm not getting paid by <laughs> anything, of course. But if you read all the like classic books on investing, they basically all say this exact same thing. Minimize fees, buy and hold index funds. That's how you most effectively build wealth. So index funds are cheap and easy. So this is the fee we're talking about that a mutual fund manager charges 2000 bucks per year. And, in the, and so that does a 2% fee. And a typical index fund fee is 0.04%. That's 50 times less. They both seem like small numbers in the big scheme of things, but it's 50 times smaller. And that's why you get half as much money over the course of an investing career. Um, wow. So index funds have ticker symbols. And so maybe you've seen if you ever watch like a news program, you see those little letters scrolling by, those are the ticker symbols for stocks. Wait, like I have a question. Fund. I have a question. Yes. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. Aline, no. Aline, me, I'm the only student. Um, <laughs> you have to pick me. Um, let's say you are an index fund manager. Are these people like insanely rich? Because you usually have hundreds of clients because you know someone just hands over their stuff and then you're taking care of it. Or are they not? Like, I feel like, if I was an index fund manager and I even had a hundred clients, I'm going to have a hundred million dollars after 30 years because I'm having 2% of each of their investments. And these are normal yeah. people, not even super wealthy people. Or so you said index not. fund, but I think you mean mutual fund. Sorry, manager. mutual fund, mutual yeah. fund. Um, the answer is yeah. There are these monstrous companies, you know, they're like Vanguard and Fidelity and, and BlackRock and Schwab and you know, they're wall. That's, that's wall street. When you hear about wall street, they have, trillions of dollars you know and you know you know one a hundred million dollars is is nothing in terms of mutual fund games like mutual yeah. funds have are measured in billions of dollars and so if you have a billion dollars and you charge a one percent fee that's ten million dollars per year they just get to take they get to take and put into their own bank account and so when you see goldman sachs and you know these these like you know monstrous companies that's how they get that's rich by normal people giving them their money and then them taking their gargantuan fees. So you cannot be like an independent mutual fee broker. Like you, Jeremy, cannot say, I wish to manage people's funds. 
Not really. The you know mutual funds are. I guess I should say, I don't really know the exact process of becoming a publicly traded mutual fund. It's very highly regulated. Um, you know, for sure, if I were to open up my own mutual fund, it would have to go through all sorts of SEC, like Security Exchange Commission. Okay, so the mutual fund is owned by Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab. You can't yeah. just like do it on your own. Okay, okay, okay. that makes sense. Interesting. Right, yeah. Okay. So those big companies offer these monstrous mutual funds and they have tons of like reporting requirements but like one of the things that they they're still totally allowed to do is just randomly pick stocks and charge you whatever fee they want but um but no if, if i just as like some skeezy guy in the corner i was like yo yo give me money to choose some <laughs> stocks for you um you know there are financial advisors um who can choose stocks for you and it's not that's not a mutual fund and they have their own regulations to trade which are also very regulated um, but they have the exact same problem um that's not technically a mutual fund as like a financial advisor but they yeah. have the same problem and bad incentive, which is they just are taking your money every year, whether they, you know, perform or not. Okay. Um, so yeah, those, those ticker symbols you see rolling across it on the screen are generally for stocks. And that's, you type those into an app or a website to buy those stocks, but you can also type in the ticker symbol of an index fund. And so you can see these are like very low fee index funds. And you can see like, for example, this VTSAX offered by Vanguard has 3,560 US stocks inside of it. So when you own VTSAX, you own thousands of American stocks. You basically own every American publicly traded stock. Now, would somebody, you might be answering this later, but would somebody invest in all three of those or just one of those? That's a great question. What's the best index fund? <laughs> I know. You didn't, you didn't even know these were coming up. I'm like, all right. We, like, we, we did have like a brief outline of how- You're predicting my questions. I know. Um, and so- so what's, so what's the best index fund? And the answer is all the index funds that track the same index, and the word index just means list. And so the main list of US stocks is just every US stock. And so these are all, these are like the 12 most popular US stock index funds. And you can see the performance over the last, this is like the last eight years or something. And you can see it's basically identical. Um, there's no difference because index funds, there's no better or worse ones really because they all um, trade, they all own the exact same stocks. And so it's just like a package. And so you could buy all three, but I wouldn't recommend it because you're just, it's like buying ice cream that's the exact same, I don't know, what's a good metaphor? It's like, it's the exact same ice cream, but just in three different containers or something. You, know, you, don't, you don't need to buy three containers, you can just put it all in one container. Or I don't know, it's like, no, it's like going to Kroger's Vaughn's and Ralph's, those are all Southern California grocery stores, and buying the same Briar's ice cream. It's like, no, you just, you know, it doesn't matter which package it comes in or what store you buy from. So it's all the same. Um, okay. So you wouldn't buy from all three, essentially. That would be weird. Just one index fund. That would be very weird. You wouldn't want to do that. And, and also, you want to do that because um, this little pro tip on the side says if, uh, if you live in the US, you should never pay a transaction fee for buying or selling an index fund. If you are, stop and find a tra transaction free version. And so um, you can go to Vanguard's website, for example, and buy a Vanguard index fund, and there's no fee to make that transaction. They don't, you know, if you buy $1,000 worth of the index fund, they give you all $1,000. They don't take five bucks out or anything. And so if you're getting charged a fee, then you need to stop and go find the no fee version. Okay. Um, and we're gonna get into like exactly what funds to click coming up soon. Um, and so, so now the question is, okay, since all index funds that follow the same index are basically created equal, which index funds do you buy? And there's basically only three that you need to buy. 
One is a US stock market index fund, which is that same VTSX I used in the last example. That's buying every single US stock. And if we go back like that, you can see that's the yellow one here. It's, it's the same as all these other ones. So Vanguard is the company that basically invented and popularized the index fund. Yeah. Um, the founder of Vanguard is a guy named Jack Bogle, who's written some really great books. And he- Bogleheads. Yeah, they're the Bogleheads. I'm a Boglehead. <laughs> uh, and he, in my opinion, he's like a very altruistic leader in the financial services space, like very few people ever have been. Um, and so- you know, if someone recommends Vanguard to you, they're doing it with the best intentions in mind. And there's other ways to invest that are equally financially as good. But I feel like Vanguard kind of stands alone as the most altruistic version. Can but only Americans invest in Vanguard? I am not sure. I think I think they can. I think it is only. Yeah, I think in Europe, there's maybe a way. I think Australia maybe has a way, but it's definitely harder if you're not in the U.S., to do this, you basically okay. have to find a broker and maybe buy something very similar to this, the same kind of three fund thing. Okay. But admittedly, the US is like the mecca of easy investing and it's harder outside of the US, but you just basically have to find a local brokerage, which we'll talk about. Okay. But the three things are the US index fund, the international index fund, which is every stock in the world that doesn't exist in the US, and mm -hmm. a bond index fund. And we haven't talked about bonds at all, but bonds are just basically a way to have like some slow guaranteed income, you know, instead of this kind of wild ride up and down, they just pay you out like interest basically over time. Um, and generally young people should own few bonds and old people should own lots of bonds because bonds are just like the safe steady way, but they don't offer as much big growth over time. So if you just buy these three things with these three ticker symbols and put money into them forever, then you have one in investing, you've done it right. Um, but it can get even a little bit easier. Um, so you can see, this was the three fund portfolio, 55% US stocks, which has thousands of US stocks, 35% international stocks, and 10% bonds. There's even an easier way to own all three of these things without even having to decide what percent of which to buy, which is called a target date index fund, which is my own personal favorite way. Look at that face. What? <laughs> Never heard of this. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe it's, an, I mean, some people. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So this is basically. I think of it like ice cream. I've made a lot of ice cream metaphors, but like think about like chocolate ice cream is U.S. stock, <laughs> vanilla ice cream is international stock, and strawberry ice cream is bonds. You could go buy three cartons. That's great. You've got everything you need. Or you could buy one carton of Neapolitan. Yeah. Um, do people know what Neapolitan ice cream is these days? Do you know I'll tell it them. It's an ice cream with all three of those flavors, chocolate, vanilla, and strawberries. I know what it is, but I don't okay. know if they make you it anymore. Like, <laughs> you can like take your spoon across the top and eat all three in one bite or whatever. Um, so it's just like one package to buy all three. And, and these targeted index funds, what they do is they own all three of those things for you. And then as you get older, so you can see the, the red and the yellow in this picture are the stock portion and the blue Ignore the, like the different shades of blue. It's basically all different types of bonds. Doesn't matter. But the blue is the bond portion. As you get older, as you get close, closer to that retirement date, it's kind of, you know, so in your early years, like the left hand of this chart, it's just basically all stocks, fast, exciting investing, ups and downs, the coronavirus, everything. But then as you get closer to retirement, it starts slowly rolling it back, taking some of your chips off the table, putting in the bonds. Then when you're at retirement, you're kind of more 50-50 and you got exciting growth producing stocks and income producing bonds, a nice balance of a portfolio. These target date index funds also have ticker symbols. So you can see 
these like three big brokerages, Vanguard, Fidelity, and Schwab. You pick the year you want, which you basically take your birth year and add 65. So I was born in 1980 plus 65 is uh, 2045. So if I was going to invest in Vanguard, I might buy VTI VX. And like which exact year you pick it just doesn't matter that much. Some only offer every 10 years. It just doesn't matter that much. Um, so wow. yeah, so, and then you just buy one. And if you just buy one thing, like I have a blog article that says why you should put 100% of your portfolio into this one targeted index fund because it does everything for you. It has US stocks, international stocks, bonds, it automatically rebalances, automatically reallocates over time. All you gotta do is put more money in every month and you'll be a millionaire. So they so, automatically do this. Vanguard automatically divides based on ages. If you invest they in offer, They basically offer risk portfolios. One, yeah. Wow, that's so crazy. I didn't know that. Interesting. I'm sorry, my mind is blown. Okay, continue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, so you know, you're, you're, you're 30, the person's example is 27, but you're both about the same age. So you'd both be lumped into the 2055 fund because that's when you'll be about 65. Okay, okay, yeah. I got it. It's great, it's great stuff. I love me a target index fund. So yeah, so this is like, this is your ticker symbol. You can write down those letters, you know, um, and then, so then it's, which app do I use? And, and, um, you know, so you don't really need an app. Um, apps are cool and they're on your phone and everything, but what you really need is a, an account. So just like you have a checking account and a savings account, you need a brokerage account. And so you can see bank accounts, only cash goes in here, checking savings, and you can see checking account, you can write checks and savings account just holds the money, whatever. They don't really, they're not really that different these days. Brokerage accounts, you put stocks, bonds, cash, mutual funds, index funds, like all the other investment stuff goes into a brokerage account. And so a regular brokerage account is this green bucket here. And we're not going to really get into the tax stuff in this, you know, there's a lot more you can talk about, but it doesn't really matter that much. But, you know, Roth IRA and 401k, if you've heard of those, they're also yeah. just brokerage accounts, but they offer you a little tax break in the U.S., which is I good and you should take advantage of it. Great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So you need to open a brokerage account with a brokerage and they all have apps. So just like you have your, you know, you might have like a Bank of America or Chase or whatever like bank account, you'll also have a brokerage account. You'll have two accounts, one with your cash, one with your target date index fund inside of it. Yes. So which brokerage? So you just need one. And so here's some examples. And so um, these on the left here, I, I labeled as easiest, Betterment, Alvest, and Wealthfront. Um, these are what are called robo-advisors. And they basically, if you sign up with one of these, you don't even need to choose a target date index fund. They do that for you. It's like even easier where you just, you just put your money in and they do everything else. They're like, we will invest it for you. And it's called a robo-advisor because they choose the index funds for you and they invest them and they just do, there's not that much work involved, but they do it. And they charge like a small fee for their service, like 0.25%, not 2%. So it's like 10 times less than the, you know, that high fee example we were using but still it's not zero and it's pretty close to zero. Like we're getting really close to zero now. Um, the middle lowest fees, Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, those are the three, like those are the three big ones in the US um, and the Vanguard's the one we talked about. And then non-US interactive brokers. I'm not an expert in every country and every country is different. And I only live in the US and I only have my perspective. And so I know this is one that's pretty big outside of the US. Um, but if you are living outside of the US, you basically should go figure out what low fee online brokerage do people use to invest in 
index funds in your area. Uh, what buttons do I click? Okay, so now you've picked one. So we'll go back to Vanguard. And so here's like a little walk through Vanguard. I put it into a little old fashioned iPhone, so uh, it's not so scary. <laughs> so you just go to vanguard.com. You click open an account. It's basically like setting up like a Venmo account or something. Um, how will you fund this new account? It asks. And you can choose electronic bank transfer. You can roll over from, if you have a former 401k with an old employer, you can roll over the money into Vanguard. Um, you can transfer investments from another investment firm. Um, but basically you just want to transfer money from your bank account. So if you have your, just like you link a bank account with Venmo or something or PayPal or whatever, you link your, link your bank account to Vanguard. Um, choose an account type. Those are those three different buckets. You can choose, you know, the, it doesn't matter which one you choose because actually this is where I got stuck because I was like, I don't even know, like does it, if I hit retirement, is it different than if I hit saving? Like is something going to happen that affects my account or is it just they are curious? Yeah. So the reason I love Vanguard for what they did for the industry and for their altruism, I don't think their website's super easy to use. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and the answer is like you kind of need to know a little bit about your tax situation. And so I think, you know, I put on here for most people in the US, a Roth IRA is the best place to start because any money you put into a Roth IRA and then invest. But it's super never, limited though, right? $6,000 per year is how much you can contribute yeah. this year and probably next year. Um, they change it a little bit every few years. Um, but for that 6,000 you put in there, you never have to invest any money, or sorry, all the money you put in there is never taxed ever again. So if you okay. put 6,000 bucks and 6,000 bucks is 500 bucks a month. Yeah. And so in that Ashley, Amanda example with the 800 bucks, she can put 500 of the 800 into a Roth IRA. And then of that 2 million, you know, whatever it is, five eighths of it, like 1.6 million or something, um, is a hundred percent tax free. She yeah. just gets to take all that 2 million, spend it directly on hookers and blow, like ah! whatever she wants, <laughs> whatever she wants. Um, Amanda's crazy, by the way, she's, she's the yellow. She, she's um, the one. But my question is, because a lot of my friends and I are like the type of people where we made a lot of money fast, for example. So the Roth is like nothing, right? It's just like, we have so much more that we don't know where to put it. And I know a lot of people like this where we kind of made money and now we're like, yeah. we didn't grow up with money and we don't really understand where to put it. So does this, like, let's ignore the tax savings or whatever for a second. Like yeah. for the, because I'm going to show them and they're going to ask me and they're going to watch this. So like, do they need to click retirement? Do they need to click general or it doesn't matter? Uh, they would click general. general. Um, so basically, there's a few accounts in the US offered that offer tax breaks. But if you just ignore all that stuff, you can, you can invest unlimited money into a regular old brokerage account. It's like regular checking, regular savings, regular brokerage account. You can put unlimited money in there. You can invest and grow it that money is not going to be tax-free. So if you put in $100,000 and it grows to $150,000 and then you sell everything, take it out and go buy a house, the government's going to say, hey, you went from 100 to 150. There's $50,000 we've never taxed you on yet. So you need to give us 15 grand or whatever of that. So your 150, instead of being all 150, is going to be 135 or something is what you're going to walk away with after taxes. And so that's like the benefit of the Roth IRA. But mm. in general, you know, they only tax on what you make. So it's a good problem to have. If you're getting taxed for all this growth, that means you have a lot of growth. So you're um, only taxed so on the growth, 
correct? Because they assume you already pay taxes when you put it in. Okay. Yeah. And ho hopefully you did if you're not, yeah. No, I did. I did. I did. I paid taxes. I paid taxes. <laughs> For the record. Um, yeah. So you would, you would click general savings and, you, and it's just called like a regular Vanguard account or a regular Betterment account or a regular Fidelity account. It's just like a regular account without mm -hmm. the, the tax breaks. Um, and so that, that's like, and the benefit of that also is that the Roth IRA, you can't take money out until you're retired. And so you need to be 59 and a half years old to basically access that money. But the brokerage account is nice because you can put in a hundred grand, it can grow to 200, take it all out, buy a house, buy hookers and blow, whatever. Um, I say the hookers and blow thing, I guess. There's like, like what are you doing with your safe? No, I buy, yeah, yeah. It's like this guy, he like came to a bunch of money and he spent half on hookers and blow and just wasted the other half, um, implying that like the first half was not a waste, but. Oh my God. <laughs> it's a waste, it's a waste, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> That's not living for a thing. Yes. So yeah, so regular, so, and I'm, you know, I, I feel like maybe it's not that identifiable of a problem despite your, uh, your very successful, cool friends, but I'm actually not exact same, but also where- But see, you have it money. too. There's a lot of people who like, there's okay, a lot more than you think people that like- How to invest for successful young people. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I'm in the same boat where like, I, I made all my money at once and so 6,000 bucks was nothing. And so, 95% of my money is just right. in a regular old brokerage general account. It's savings. great. Makes, makes amount of money. Yeah. So okay. general savings. Um, they ask you some money. I think they have to ask for like for their records or something. It doesn't matter. They need your social security number for tax purposes. It's just basically filling out this information. There's nothing, you know, it doesn't matter what you type here yeah. on this page. Um, here you link your bank account. And so, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of small, but you like, you know, you just, just like you link a Venmo account, routing number, account number um you know give it a nickname then you choose your fund here's just like the vanguard section and so basically when you're choosing uh an index fund you want to choose one that has no fees and the, the brokerage that you sign up for often are you taking a picture of this I'm taking a picture even though i have the whole video i'm taking a picture it's <laughs> going on youtube uh so you so the brokerage you sign up with usually offers their own target date index fund and so you remember how all the index funds are about the same. So just pick the one from the brokerage you sign up with. So if you sign up with the Vanguard, pick a Vanguard one. If you sign up with Fidelity, pick a Fidelity one. And so, you know, add 65 to your birth year. So you're born in 1990 or so, plus 65 is 2055. And then um, you would be VFFVX. There we go, from the same as the last one. Then over here, here's the little buttons you click. You invest your money. So this is really important. A lot of people think once they put their money in Vanguard, it's invested, but they actually have to like do a second step. You put your money into Vanguard and then you have to buy, you have to invest in, you have to trade, whatever you want to call it, the actual index fund. So you click my accounts, then buy and sell, then buy Vanguard funds. And so you can see over here, it says target retirement 2050. That's a target date index fund. Mm -hmm. You can see your balance here and how many dollars you want to buy with. And so basically, assuming you're not mixing your emergency fund and you're investing, you just put all your money into the same exact target date index fund, your 2050. Index. Is that what you did? Is all of yours in one fund or you diversified for fun? Cause like you do more of this. Um, so a more advanced strategy is not better. This is in my opinion, optimal. And I think any derivation from this is more likely to hurt you than help you. But there are other ways to, um, basically accomplish the same thing by buying them separately. And so 
I basically bought them separately. And if I had it to do over again, like I bought the three index funds instead of the one, if I had to do over again, I would buy the one because I think the simplicity has a real actual positive. You can't value. like actually, sell them and then buy the other one. You can, but you get taxed on the growth and it's a little bit better to not, you know, not do that <laughs> because you get taxed earlier and the, the way long, I mean, you know, broad strokes doesn't really matter, but I think the more important reason I don't is because I believe in staying the course. I believe in sticking with your strategy long-term. And so if you, and you can buy a three fund portfolio. Like if you want to buy those three, like there's a whole book written on three fund portfolios. It's like a very good way to invest. It's optimal. It's, you know, efficient, it's effective. It's everything that's good. They're just both, they're two, you know, it's like it's the buying this ice cream separate or together. Either one, you're getting what you need. You're getting a ton of ice cream. Okay. Um, and so I just happen to have the separate cartons right now. But when I invest new money, I actually do put it into a targeted index fund because I just think it's optimal. Awesome. Yeah. And then you click submit and then you're done. You've invested. You did it. Your money is invested. It will grow with the market. And so that's, you know, I, I, you know, I think you are like me, which is like, the concept of stocks is very abstract, but like <laughs> the reality is not that, it's like a couple hours of not super fun. It's a little bit of a pain in the ass to like sign up for this website and click through all the pages and figure out what letters to type in for your ticker symbol. Um, and if you don't wanna do the ticker symbol thing and the letters, you can just go to the betterment and they don't even ask that. That's, you know, this easiest section here is more like um, Venmo or something, or it's just you sign up, you type in your number, you put your money in, and they're like, all right, you're good. Um, and people who invest in Betterment, they say, should I get out of Betterment? I say, probably not. You know, I think for that very low fee, 0.25%, it's getting pretty close to zero. You know, it's not going to take half, half of your investment at that point. It's going to take like, you know, only a few percent over the course of your career. I think people, if they like Betterment and there's, they want to stick with it, I say, sweet, go for it. You know, if you, don't want to do it yourself or you're worried about the ticker symbol thing i think it's a great way to go and i think that doing it yourself you might be more likely to screw it up than you are to like optimize that little tiny tiny fee away okay amazing great i think you know that's it that's how you i'm gonna invest. go do this now i think it's gonna give me issues because i'm out of the u.s and they kind of know it and so they're yeah. like there's some problem but i can i'm going to try it and if it doesn't work i'll try the international one or i will figure it out Oh, action items. Okay. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is just the, the little summer here. Live below your means, invest your own often. That's what I talked about first. And I'm going to say again last because that's how you build wealth. Buy and hold index funds and stay the course. Like that's, that's really it. And all the other noise in the world, day trading and gold and, and uh, whole life insurance and uh, annuities and all this, just ignore all that shit. Just ignore all that shit and do this. And that's how you're going to maximize your wealth. Perfect. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jeremy. That was awesome. I learned a lot. I hope everybody watching learned a lot. If you liked watching this, please follow Jeremy here and please comment because if you don't comment, I won't do another one because it means you don't care. Please like, please turn on your notifications bell and do all the other things you know you're supposed to do. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I hope this was fun for you and thank you so, so much again for your time. I know, you know, I'm sure you're very busy even in times of Corona. So we appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's so fun. You do a great job. Very great questions. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye.